Do you ever have those times in your life when you wonder what God was doing? And why he leaves or allows certain things to go on or allows certain things to happen. A daughter who desperately wants a child. Can't have one. Finally adopts, only to find out within a day it could die. And every day in their lives over the last four and a half years has been a lot of uncertainty and a lot of wondering and maybe when. Five and a half years ago, didn't feel well, went to the doctor. Doctor said you need to go to a cardiologist. Went to a cardiologist, wore a 48-hour monitor, got a call on Good Friday night saying you have a room waiting for you in intensive care. You need to get there now. So I let my wife drive because she will get there always a lot faster than me. <laughs> got in, walked in, registered, wired up. On Saturday night, things didn't look well, and I didn't feel well. My heart was racing 220 beats a minute and wouldn't slow down no matter what happened. It gave me a number of things and a number of reasons and a number of rationale, but nothing was working, and finally I couldn't even breathe. They sent everyone out of the room, put oxygen on me, and I literally looked up to heaven and said, I'm going to die tonight. I didn't see that coming. I'll be honest with you, I don't want to. I have kids and grandkids that I love to see grow up. I'm okay either way. But if you don't mind, I'd really rather stay. But I am kind of surprised, because to be honest with you, I didn't see it coming. And of all crazy things, I went to sleep. I woke up the next morning with one eye open, just kind of wanted to see him. <laughs> am I still here? And this nurse walked in, who was very nice, but I knew wasn't an angel, because if she, <laughs> she would have said to me one more time, this is only going to pinch a little. I was going to pinch her a lot. One of my best friends lost his son on the Wheaton track field three weeks before he was to be married. And throughout 37 years of ministry life, I've had a lot of those moments where I don't understand. It's not how I would have seen it going. I don't necessarily have an answer but it's not what I thought would happen. Listen to Paul's life. I want to be honest with you. I worked harder, been in prison more frequently, flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, from bandits, from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in the city, and the country, and danger at sea, and even in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled. I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. What do you do in those moments when you want to express your heart to God? You don't quite understand what he's doing. You wish it were different. You just want him to know in that moment how you feel. And then how do you respond to those uncertainties in those moments of life? This week, of all things, I read Psalm 77 in a whole other context. And then for whatever reason, I turned and reread it again out of the message version. 
I want to read it to you this morning as an honest expression of a servant of God sharing his heart with the living God out of this translation. I yelled to God. I yelled with all my might. At the top of my lungs, I yelled. He listens. I found myself in trouble and went looking for my Lord. My life was an open wound that wouldn't heal. When my friends said everything will turn out all right, I didn't believe a word they said. I remember God and shake my head. I bow my head and wring my hands. I'm awake all night, not a wink of sleep. I can't even say what's bothering me. I've gone over the days one by one. I ponder the years as they've gone by. I strum my lute all through the night, wondering how on earth I'll get my life together. Will the Lord walk off and leave us? Will he never smile again and his love threadbare? Has his salvation promise burned down? Has God forgotten his manners? Has he angrily stalked off and left us? And I love this phrase, just my luck. The high God goes out of business the moment I need him the most. Once again, I go over all what he has done. I lay out on the table all of his ancient wonders. I ponder all the things you've accomplished Give a long, loving look at your acts. God, your way is holy. No God is great like you. You're God who makes all things happen. Honest expression to the God of the universe. Right in the middle of Acts 16, and one of the difficulties of preaching in a context like we do on Sunday morning is that I can't keep you here all day and unpack a powerful section of scripture as it deserves. So in many cases, I've got to divide it in half. And last Sunday morning, we did that. We ended right in the middle of Acts 16 as Paul is on his second missionary journey, having what he would have sensed in the beginning of that, the time of his life. A very wealthy lady comes and hears the gospel. She knew about God. She knew that God existed, but now she hears what Christ did on the cross, and she received Jesus as Savior. Paul, with all the uncertainty as to why God kept moving them from place to place, had to think, this is awesome. Now we get it. Now we know why we came. To all of a sudden, a slave girl who was able to predict the future is annoying Paul for the next few days And in a moment of passion and intensity, Paul just simply declares, in the name of Jesus, be gone. And she was free. That didn't work out near as well for Paul and Silas as it did in Lydia's case because they end up in jail. Matter of fact, not only did they end up in jail, as a crowd gathered around them in verse 23 of Acts 16, they were severely flogged thrown into prison, and a jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet with shocks. By midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors were open, and everybody's chains came loose. Jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said to them, sirs, what do I need to do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. And that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Immediately, he and all of his family were baptized. Jailer brought them into the house, set a meal before them, 
And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. I want to do a quick sidebar for a moment. There's no, way else, no other place to do this, but two out of the three situations, you saw the very first thing they wanted to do after they came to faith in Christ was to be baptized. You see that in Lydia, you see that in the jailer and his family. Three weeks from now, on February the 15th, we're going to do that on a Sunday morning. We're going to celebrate what God's doing in the life of people. We've not done that for a while. We've never done it here in our sanctuary on a Sunday morning. But there's some people who have come to faith in Christ who want to follow him in baptism. And we're excited about that. And we want to share their story with you. We don't always do it on a Sunday morning, but this one I felt led to do that. And when I looked at this context, I realized one of the very first things they wanted to do after they came to faith in Christ was to be baptized. To publicly declare their allegiance to Jesus. A couple of Sundays from now, when I get back, I'm going to talk to you about that event and why it was so important and critical in their life. But we're going to have a class for those who want to get baptized. You see it in your bulletin. You'll see it outside. A class on the evening of February the 8th. And then that Sunday morning, we're going to celebrate what God's doing in the life of those who have recently found faith in Christ. And we'd love for you to do that as well. And when I looked at this, I realized, what a perfect time to do it. Because two out of these three... The very first thing they wanted to do after they came to faith in Christ was to follow him in baptism. And we want to encourage you to do that as well. This morning I want to deal with the third story and more importantly their response to the situation in the third story. Two parts of that third story, the singing and the praying and secondly the chains fell off. Now when you think about it for a moment... The most amazing thing about their response in Acts 16 is the context. It's not a Sunday morning gathering where they're all dressed up, look good, had a great week, came in on Sunday morning, couldn't wait to hear the music, greeted everybody on the way in, hey, great to see you, how you doing, I'm fine, good week, absolutely. It couldn't have gotten worse. The thumbnail sketch that I read to you about Paul's life in those years of ministry in 2 Corinthians where he's more honest about the call, the cost of ministry than in any other place is one of these instances. They had been severely beaten. The wind in their faces and the sea being calm in verse 11, long gone. Their clothes stripped off, beaten with rods. Some translations, as I said to you last week, said stripes without major. You know what that means? They lost count. They didn't count. It was common in these beatings to have broken ribs and internal injuries. The inner prison was stuffy, dirty, dark, and the smell was horrible. As I said last Sunday, not in stocks like this that you see out of the 18th century, but crumbled up in a corner, shackled so they couldn't move. Rome delighted in torture. Sleep couldn't come at all. Maybe by the gift of unconsciousness it came, but then all of a sudden they were rudely awakened by the pain. And then you get to verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. Now that verse to me stands out like a neon sign in the middle of the context. About midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to God. Paul and Silas were praying and singing. That's an unbelievable response. I found myself thinking, what do you do with a guy like Paul? Paul, we're going to take all your resources away from you. We're going to take all your possessions. Okay. 
I'll be honest with you, I've learned to have a lot and I've learned to have a little. So I found myself content in either situation. Paul, we're going to beat you. Okay, but to be honest with you, I find my suffering pales in comparison to what Christ did, and it pretty much pales in comparison to what I'm going to have someday. Fine, they were going to kill you. Well, you know, to die is gain. (laughs) And to be really honest with you, I'm kind of debating. I really do want to stay here and help the church and encourage them, but I'll be honest with you, there are times I just want to see Jesus. So you solve the debate. What do you do with a guy that has that kind of attitude? That no matter what you throw at him, he understands. No matter what you throw at him or light throws at him or God allows, no matter what happens, he's got an amazing response. What I want you to see this morning and what I want you to feel this morning, it's not a story that we just tuck on a shelf somewhere and then pull off, read it again and say, wasn't that great for Paul? But it always stands in time as an opportunity for us to understand how we too can react in the midst of all the uncertainties of life and all the questions we may have. Do you ever wonder what they were praying? To be honest with you, I wonder how. I mean, how do you pray in the midst of all of that pain? I got to believe that it wasn't like the Pharisees prayed. Remember how Jesus said they prayed? They want to make sure everybody noticed. I mean, they stood in the highest place. They shouted out as loud as they could. They made sure everyone heard their prayers. And Jesus said, don't do that. You want to have a conversation with God? Just share it. Tell him how you feel. Don't do it so that people are impressed with your prayer. Do it because you really honestly want to express your heart to God. I believe that when they prayed, it was probably even hard to form the words. I've often wondered when I read this section of scripture and later when Paul wrote Romans chapter 8, if he thought about this moment. Paul writes these words in Romans chapter 8. I consider that our present sufferings aren't worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. We know that all of creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And not only us, but we're the first fruits. And it groans inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this we hope, and we hope, for in this hope we're saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have, but... If we hope for what we don't have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in the moment of our weakness. We don't even know what we ought to pray for. The Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he, because he searches the hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, finds ourselves with the Spirit interceding for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You know what he's saying? God, I don't even know what to tell you. I really don't even know what to say. I prayed for her and him and them for so long, and you've heard it over and over again. To be honest with you, I don't know what to say. To be really honest with you, I'm in such deep pain and agony, I don't know how to express that to you. And I'm so delighted that in the middle of that, your spirit speaks to my spirit, and my spirit speaks to your spirit, and your spirit speaks to you. I'm so delighted that I know that, that even when I feel that I can't pray the way I should or need to or want to, just to know that you know is incredible. So I got to believe that when he wrote Romans 8, he remembered this circumstance. 
You wonder if he prayed things like this. Lord, why does the price have to be so high? I mean, we're grateful that the slave girl is free. We really are, but does it have to hurt so bad? Lord, are we done? I mean, is this it for us? Does you bring us here to die? Who's going to help her? Jesus, the night you were betrayed and beaten, did you feel like this? Did you ever feel alone? Were you afraid? Half a dozen years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Israel. Went down in one of the inner chambers where they say most likely Jesus was held, waiting for the trial the next day, somewhere in Caiaphas' palace, a pit. While we were in depths of that pit, the leader of that, Brian Widman, read to us Psalm 88, which he feels is most likely an expression of Jesus at that moment. Lord, your God who saves me, night and day I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I'm overwhelmed with trouble when my life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down into the pit. I'm like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave whom you remember no more. We're cut off from all who care. You've put me in the lowest pit in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavy on me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. You've taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and can't escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. I cry to you for help. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Lord, don't reject me and hide your face from me because I feel like right now darkness is my closest friend. You can almost hear Paul saying, Lord, was it like this for you? You know what it's like, don't you, Lord? You've been there, Lord. Jesus, please be here now. No pews, no stained glass, no musicians, no singers, but I'm telling you, in the middle of this dungeon, it was about to become the Shekinah glory of God. For while they were worshiping, the chains fell off. While they were worshiping, the chains fell off. Do you ever wonder where the song came from? I can't believe they were singing the sun will come out tomorrow. They weren't denying their pain. They felt every pain they had. So where did this song come from? Two possibilities I have in your sermon notes this morning. One is possibly God gave them a song. God gave them a song. Somewhere, somehow, in the dark night of the soul, God gave them a song. Maybe even while in and out of consciousness, something deep down inside their soul stirred and a song came out. It's like Job in the middle of everything crashing on around him and his fight is going. In the middle of all of that, God gave him a song. Matter of fact, in Job 19, he said, I want to write it down. Somebody give me a piece of stone. Somebody give me something to write it down. Give me a piece of lead. I want to write this down. No, give me a rock. I'm going to write it on a rock. I know my Redeemer lives. Somewhere in the middle of all the pain and all the uncertainty and all the frustration, God gave them a song. Now, there's a second possibility. 
The other possibility is that Paul and Silas, in your notes, made a choice. They made a choice. A choice to recognize that God is God, even in the pain. Even in the middle of uncertainty and uncertainty about the future, to say out loud, God, I don't like this. It hurts. They hurt. I don't understand. I don't know what to say. I don't even know if I have the answers anymore. Certainly doesn't make sense. I feel alone. I'm afraid. I don't even know what tomorrow holds. But in the middle of all of that, I need to say, you are God and I'm not. And to be honest with you, I don't always like that arrangement, but I'm going to make a choice to bow down to you now. And I believe in the midst of that choice, God came through with power and strength. It reminds me, as I've said before, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three guys in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel who ended up in a foreign place as teenagers, and their whole world at that moment changed. King made an edict to bow down before him at a certain time, and they had made a decision they were going to stay faithful to God no matter what. So he went to them and said, look, you either bow or you go into the fiery furnace. You either bow before me now as to who I am, or you go into the fiery furnace. You reject your God, you accept me as your God for these moments, or you die. And they looked at him with confidence to say, look, we know... Our God is faithful. We know who our God is. We know he's there. We make a choice today knowing that it could cost us our lives to not bow down before you, O king. We believe that God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we will still not bow down for you or to you. We will constantly continue to come to him and him alone. Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline, calls that a sacrifice of praise. It's not when a band is hot, the music is great, when you know all the songs, you love the music, you love the musicians. It's not when anything is going well, it's a song of praise in the midst of all of my uncertainty, in the midst of all of my questions, in the midst of all the pain. I will still choose, in the middle of all of that, to bow to you and you alone. Someone has asked, how do you worship when you're in pain? The question, obviously, is do you only get praise when things go well? When things fit together and when life makes sense, can't we, when I'm confused, when I'm in pain, even when I'm in prison, worship? I think God delights in our praise, even in the midst of our pain, even when our flame is flickering low. I go back to Jesus' promise when he's quoting Isaiah. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he won't snuff out. And when we pray, sometimes, not always, sometimes, the chains fall off and we're free. No longer in bondage to our circumstances, our condition, or our past. We're free. Paul says this in Corinthians. We've got this treasure, this gift from God, in jars of clay. We show the all-surpassing power of God from us. We're hard-pressed on every side. We're not crushed. We're in perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we know that we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life 
may be revealed in our mortal bodies, which is exactly what happened to the Philippian jailer. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people can cause thanksgiving and overflow to the glory of God. So don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what's seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen, eternal. This morning we're going to end with praise. It's an opportunity for you and I in just a few moments to express our hearts to God. Now, you may just want to listen to someone else praise. Maybe there's such depth in your soul right now, you can't even sing. And to be honest with you, you don't want to sing, and that's fine. Listen. Let him hear your heart in those moments of inner groaning. Maybe to hear your heart in full expression. But just know that in the midst of all of the uncertainty of life and the questions that we may have, for these moments this morning, God may want to come down right where you're at and set you free. Because you've been bound up by your pain and your frustration and your anger and your agony and your past way too long. And you know it's holding you back. We don't want to manipulate you at all in doing it. We don't want to say that you've got to song and a half and when it's over you'll be amazed at the response that you'll feel I don't want to ever say that at all we just want to give you an expression an opportunity an example of how to do that so maybe at home tonight in the midst of your quietness on your drive to work in the morning when you turn some music on or whatever that may be when it's just those moments with you and God you express to him how you really feel and allow him to set you free Father, I thank you for these examples. And again, it just keeps running around in my head. Do not, Father, let us ever put these on a shelf somewhere as great models of days gone by. But an opportunity for us to learn from their example how to express our honesty, our heart, our pain, and our frustration. And the impact that has on those who watch how we respond to those uncertain days of life. And so in these closing moments, we give you our praise. And we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you hear our hearts and that you listen. So receive them as our expression to you this morning in Jesus' name.